So guiding theme for this retreat is a firm center open heart. So when you, you, you can consider that, you can recognize where I'm, where I'm coming from, what I'm addressing. It's not really like uh, ABC of Buddhism, five of these, six of these, do this, do that, the other. It's not a, uh, a university curriculum. It's not even a gathering and a sorting out of, of information, though there will be information. It's mostly a movement and shifting in terms of two experiences that we all have, but probably don't refer to that much, and yet there's something there. We know what open heart sounds like. Uh, sounds good, sounds right, sounds appropriate, not defended, love to be open-hearted. Uh, sometimes don't feel safe enough to be open-hearted, <laughs> because there's bad things out there. Get abused. Uh, misused, duped. Open-hearted sounds like a lovely free way to be. Why, why doesn't it happen? Because of the lack of sila, of morality in the, in the field in which we operate. Firm center. Nice to feel nice and grounded, collected, not spun out, steadied, firmly established, you know. Uh, that sounds good too. What is, but then when what's often the kind of firming up that's most easily available is kind of holding on. You know, we hold on to an idea, an opinion, we get rigid about it. We hold on to a belief or a doctrine, we argue about it. We feel very firm, but certainly not open-hearted. <laughs> yeah. We hold on to a piece of physical territory, this is mine, possessions, mine. And of course, most specifically, uh, well, my ideas, my views, my inclinations, and then something else, myself. What's that? The need for independence, to feel secure in oneself, to not be taken over by others. Uh, it sounds, it sounds a Right, and yet there's a pitfall in that because that leads to a kind of isolation and um, inability to meet mutuality declines if everybody's being determinedly independent. Yeah, yeah, and the sense of mutuality disappears, competition arises. Yeah. Oh, my relationship to him, and so forth. Uh, so the, the independent uh, sounds right, feels, has a certain good feeling about it, but there's something lost in that. Uh, the sense of the joy of mutuality, the modesty, the openness uh, that we need in order to get proper heart food. Heart food comes from taking in that which we didn't know, uh, entering something we weren't, hadn't got all planned out. 
being open to people we didn't know, and yet, oh, that's what she's got. That's interesting. I can take that piece in. You know, that's where we get our heart food from. Um, in like a situation like this, when you open up to this beautiful scenario here, plenty of space, light, clean light, clean air. I mean, something you just wants to, you know, open to that because it feeds you, doesn't it? Just the ability to be open is already your your heart, your sensitivity opens up and it can take in the clean and the nourishing. Now, so how do these, we, so we don't want to be so independent that we're closed off. We don't want to be so not open that we're just shredded by everything <laughs> or abused. How do these, well, there is a different cultivation which allows a firming up of center rather than a hardening of the extremities. The independent independence attitude often causes to be thick-skinned, yeah? like shielded. And particularly in a city, in urban life, there's a good amount of shielding going on because of just the sheer impact from people and things you don't know, you don't necessarily can't feel trust with, you just don't know, so you unnaturally shields against this impingement. And as you get any degree of savvy, you can recognize a lot of the impingement is purely there to get your into your pocket, your wallet, <laughs> your mind, <laughs> take something from it. So you, you develop the, the, the shield, don't you? You know, And, uh, and so that's urban life. Uh, media life is like that. So we get a hard, hard surface. Uh, hard surface means we remain fundamentally undernourished. Uh, so we seek our nourishment from, well, eat something, uh, drink something, um, see something, hear something. We seek our nourishment from things that seem to be outside us that we try to pull in. You know, sights, sounds, touches and so forth. Um, it doesn't necessarily... Uh, but the nourishment is rather short-lived. It's a, it's, a move, it's a sense of, oh, that was pleasant, that was agreeable, and then that fades. Yeah. Because essentially, the heart hasn't opened. We stayed inside and just pulled some things in. Into it. And that is the, uh, I think, uh, a common plight. So common that we don't even recognize it as such, perhaps. Uh, that fundamental scenario, being inside your body with a shield around it, and finding some degree of pleasure, gratification, interest from pulling things in. Sights, sounds, ideas, and storing them up. And of course, this is where the materialist world comes in because then all kinds of nice things that are presented that you could take into your cage. <laughs> you know, spend some money on this, you can take one of these in. This sight, this sound, this trinket and so forth, take it into your cage so that you get a rather nice cage. Uh, 
but it's still a cage. And as we can recognize with that, uh, uh, beings who are, are not limited or restrained um, will tend to take enormous amounts of things inside their cages, yachts, uh, <laughs> uh, you name it. You know. Things that are not necessary for life at all. Your cars will drive at you know, 250 kilometers an hour when you can actually go down the, the street at 50. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, kinds of things that cannot actually, uh, are not necessary. Um, and uh, this gives rise to the phenomenon of greed and uh, consuming greed that continues to consume and consume and consume because you have to take things inside your cage to make you feel happy. So the more you can get in there, the better you'll feel. But of course, as we recognize, the whole experience of one is that which one has taken inside begins to melt and dissolve. You need another one. So this becomes addictive. To have more. Addictive. And there's never enough. That's the consumer model that we're all inducted into, the degree to which we're able to check it or restrain it, of course, is is uh, worthy, but that's the model. And a certain amount of self-esteem goes with how well one can do that. <laughs> you know, a really uh, successful person's got stuffed a lot of things inside their cage. Uh, this sounds rather grim, doesn't it? But if you've opened that, if you come out of that, you recognize it for what it was. And the, the, the inadequacy of it. If it worked, fine. But because it doesn't work, it doesn't fulfill. And no matter how much more, it will not fulfill. It's not the problem with the items, are not the problem. You're not the problem. The problem is the model doesn't work. And there's another model, possible, which we call the spiritual model. I don't mean whatever religion, but when I talk about spirit, I mean heart, of mind, awareness, um, something we're also could acknowledge, recognize, is very fundamental to us. We're sensitive, we're affective, we're emotional, we're moved by energies, we feel high, we feel low, we feel constricted, we feel expansive, we feel crushed, overwhelmed, we feel elated. What's happening? Body looks about the same. All kinds of movements are occurring on an immaterial, energetic, emotional, psychological level. All this is the realm of spirit, chitta of heart, awareness. And uh, it's a, it's, at first it's a very confusing uh, realm because it doesn't operate according to the senses. That is, what we see with our eyes is a fairly static situation and with these bodies which look roughly the same every day. 
what we experience is something rather different, which is a sense of compression or vigor or vitality or dullness or fear or gladness or welcome, which profoundly flavor our, our experience. And the advice of spiritual teachers is go into this rather confusing, irrational realm and start to work it, massage it, strengthen it, clean it. And it will actually become the centre that you always wanted for your confidence and your dignity and your self-respect and your reference, but it will become that. And the nature of this centre is that it remains firm and at the same time you can open because it doesn't get lost. It, when it opens, it doesn't rush out. It stays where it is and it opens. But because it's this firmness to it, it also is untrammeled, unbowed by phenomena because it has its own firmness. It's not knocked around. Because it's not confined within the sensory realm. It's not confined within the sensory realm. Now we take a simple sensory phenomenon, you know, like this material body, then you knock it, and it, you know, because it's material, and you can knock it, it will, it will either resist or it will get pushed back. Yeah. You're listening to something, your, ear, your listening sense is open, there's a loud crash, your listening sense contracts. It shuts against that, doesn't it? It shatters. That's the sensory consciousness. It's impacted by senses, by sensory phenomena. This is called patika, asa, or disturbance, impression. Something is disturbed. And the sense contact always has that quality to it. It's, and, it and there's this vibration within it. Now, the level of spirit doesn't have to do that. The spiritual world can just allow a phenomena to pass through, rather like a cloud. Like a, you know, something moves through a cloud, the cloud isn't bothered. Because it's not attached to the sensory realm. You hear the sound is heard, and the heart remains firm, steady, open, and the sound travels through. It's in that same shattering effect. Or alternatively, the same reaching out. Oh, that's good. It remains steady. It's open and it's steady. So the images we can use, like a like a cloud, uh, it moves into and fills space, but doesn't hold on to any of it. Yeah. Like a cloud moving into a canyon, it can completely fill that, but it doesn't shut anything else out. Nor is it compressed by it, it can move on. Birds can fly through it, trees can grow through it, cloud isn't bothered. Birds disappear, the cloud doesn't feel anything's been lost. It remains there. The cloud is not the greatest impression in the world, but it's the nearest thing you can see as something that's both sort of has a shape and yet has no shape. 
has a presence, yet its presence is indeterminate. It occupies whatever you put it into. Uh, you could say it's like water. Uh, you could say it's like space. It occupies whatever you, whatever form you put it into. It fills it, but it's not disturbed by whatever enters that, or whatever leaves it. The space remains the same. This is the realm of spirit, of jitta, of heart, and most fundamentally, aims of Buddhist practice are to to untether jitta from the sense contact, not from the senses exactly, from the sense contact, from that sense of impact disturbance experience, to, to untether the jitta from the senses, so it remains in itself, steady. But rather like a cloud, the cloud always sits within the sky, sits, hangs over the land, uh, trees moves through it. It's also not divorced from the sensory realm. <laughs> yeah. So it's not negating it, it's just not tethered to it. And there could be that opening into it, flowing into it, and yet not being constricted by it. <clears throat> so, you know, <clears throat> Buddhist practice, very simply speaking, whatever, whatever, you know, teachings, schools, lineages you 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 choose or favour, or you know, I see it fundamentally. Um, <laughs> it's about work. It's about food. And it's about rest. <laughs> Very simply speaking, about work, food, rest. Or if you like it the other way around, it's about rest, food, and work. <laughs> it doesn't matter which way you start with it. Uh, I mean, the idea of work without any food doesn't sound so good. Uh, so we might start with food. Food for the heart. Food for the heart is. Uh, Fundamentally, we could say Dhamma begins with meeting good people. So, this is really lovely the, the, the groundedness of it all. When the Buddha teaches, he says, you know, not you begin with you know awareness of the cosmos, you begin with just meeting some good people. Because at the very basic level, as human beings, before we have any other religious experiences we you know at all or any kind or even a way to, ability to think uh, if we meet good people we will feel our hearts will open that's the nature of it it's not something you have to force it is the removal of fear the removal of defense the removal of having to justify yourself a removal of being criticized the nature of the heart is to open. <laughs> As you, you don't have to force it to open, it does it, because that, that's the natural state. And you can see, you know, why, why we say children are so vulnerable, is because they haven't learned to close yet. Because their natural state of the human being is to be open. And unfortunately, children haven't learned the shielding yet. And because we're in a very uh, blotchy moral condition 
the human realm, then they get open to all kinds of negative, critical, abusive, domineering energies. So to meet good people, not just as an idea, but actually to sense it and feel it, this is rather precious. Uh, in the sense in which we don't good enough, good enough. You know, they're not ideal. We're good enough. Good enough. You know, not going to violate me anyway, <laughs> or steal things. <laughs> you know, rip me off. That's good enough. You know, whether you really think they're fantastic or not is another thing. We're just good enough. So this is why this foundation, that foundation in in the sealer, in a shared sealer in a commitment, an absolute resolve you know, to, to make that fundamental is necessary when we enter a group so there could be a sense of I don't really know this person but she's not going to hurt me and it's that kind of gentle and she don't, I don't have to prove anything to her I don't have to make myself look great, fantastic and that, that lessening it's interesting. And it's such a common experience on retreats. <laughs> Strangely enough, you know, you get this feeling on a retreat, you do a retreat, particularly a, a longish session with a group of people, you feel a sense of great oh, harmony and love with each other. Until the end of the retreat, you start talking. <laughs> <laughs> God, she's a case. <laughs> we jump back into the learned models of behaviour that are not actually uh, coming from this place we've been at, but we haven't learned how to speak. So we speak from our conditioned selves rather from this rather uncertain quality of what we're actually feeling at a high level. <laughs> so, you know, it's really important to, to recognize this, this quality of openness is so uh, most natural but also rather rare. We have to do some work to try to return to it in a way which doesn't enter into the vulnerability of the child. We need to have the open heart to get the food of feeling welcome, of feeling safe, of feeling trusted, of feeling comfortable, of feeling loved, if you like, which is what feeds the heart. But we don't go back to being, you know, vulnerable babies. So therefore there's a need to have this work of carefully opening, but also the firming up. We might say the very firming up of the centre is what the precepts mean. sense of resolve in that. And then if we are being met by unskillful influences, we return to that centre and disengage. It's not appropriate. I'm not here for this. This is not suitable. End of, you know, that disengaging from the contact. 
the work of firming up, <coughs> which we is a principle of the precepts, also has to be <coughs> carried through in terms of the body. Because, of course, you know, this very body is a very a representation of spirit. Now we can see this as uh, uh, flesh shape, or we can see it as organs, we can see it as anatomy, we can see it as, you know, uh, the shape as the shape's attractive or unattractive and so forth. The sensory aspect of it, but as a manifestation of spirit, it has the center of a, it has the qualities of a firm center and the ability to be open. And this <clears throat> then supports the qualities of mind and heart to do the same. So what I'm suggesting is if without our awareness, our spiritual faculty, our spiritual manifestation called awareness, we turn to the awareness of our bodies, not what we see with our eyes, but the feeling of them. You'll notice there's a sense of periphery, what's around me, skin boundary, what's at the edge of me, moving within, you have a sense of there's a center here, which approximates to the spine, spinal channel, spinal current. We call it the midline. <clears throat> now the physical structure of the body, you know, uh, supports that. The physicality of the spinal structure gives you that sense of the firmness of the of the body, and the softness of the skin gives you the sense of the openness of it. Energetically, the uprightness of the energy, which means you're not compressed, you're not slumped, if you're bright and upright, that gives you the firmness. Yeah? And the openness is what you begin to sense around that, as your energy stabilizes, you sense what's happening around that. Classically, the most um, <coughs> common meditation theme, almost the, the baseline for every other meditation, breathing in, breathing out. Because <coughs> on a material level, we can say this is about transference of air and oxygen, but I don't feel any oxygen. <laughs> you know, I don't feel oxygen, I feel energy. Yeah. and you may say it's about putting air in through your nose and down into your lungs but I can't feel my lungs but I can feel the body opening and expanding and I can feel it subsiding and if I tune into that I can feel the energy of the breathing in and breathing out which is the breathing in the energy brightens and strengthens Breathing out, the energy softens and diffuses. And because that is so regular, so it never does anything but that. It always does exactly that. That's such a regular feature that fills 
and shapes and informs the body both physically and energetically and even psychologically right? that becomes a central reference and I call it a fluid structure because although it's regular it's structural in that everything else depends upon it right? you know, it's just like a, a post that you could hang things on your physical body hangs upon this breath there's no breath end right <laughs> so the nature of your body both for a life force and for its presence depends upon this energy flowing through it brightening and softening yeah? Yeah. so therefore it's a structure it means whatever we do can hang upon or rest upon this yeah? so naturally if you're running you breathe more because that that, that reference is still there, the structure is still there, but now it's asked to support a lot of movement. Okay, we'll do that. Still, the structure remains exactly the same. It doesn't change. <coughs> but what it, what it offers changes. We sit still, and it's not required to go very fast, so it can slow down, it becomes deep and steady. The structure remains the same, it's still central. And it's still providing you with the energy that's appropriate. <coughs> now this um, sense of this inner fluid structure, because it, it's changeable in some respects, but it's immutable in other respects, because it informs everything, it informs the, the physicality of our bodies, such as their physical operation when you're sleeping or running or walking or sitting still, It also, support, it also supports our emotions, our emotional body. When we're excited or happy, or if you're dull or depressed, the energy changes. The, 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 this breathing changes subtly. If you're very depressed, it, it can't hardly breathe in. In-breathing is very weak and unnourishing. You feel flattened energy doesn't properly circulate. <clears throat> if you feel in a state of fear, that affects the breathing. If we feel unwelcome, it affects it. Because what, what the energy is doing is saying, defend, 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 close, close, close. So we operate like that. It's responding to signals. On an emotional level. <coughs> now, you know, if you run a few scenarios around that, say you're, again, I don't want to uh, <laughs> suggest things that aren't true for you, but... Um, Certainly, even just driving through Durban, I see a lot of signs saying security, security here, armed military security here. Right. Security, wall, bars, gate, right, you know, barbed wire, security. Probably not a place that's free from fear. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, true. Every reason, clearly those are reasonable signals. So what does that do? Close. What does that do to your to your your energy? Holds it in. Oh God, slight sense of that. How does that affect your breathing? Your breathing's not going to be deep bellied release, is it? It's not going to be all the time in the world to let the breath rise and expand. It's going to be rather restricted by that. <coughs> so, um, this is by no means unusual. Because even as in such obvious signs as you know security, military, protection, and so forth, there's lots of signs that are not military but extremely intrusive. There are suddenly flashing lights come flashing in, loud sounds come crashing in, large machines on wheels come rushing towards you. <laughs> this is normal city life, isn't it? Things are rushing in and rushing out. So uh, what's that affect you? Do you feel the sense of being able to breathe out deeply? Relax. And breathe in. I shouldn't think so. If you went to a beach, you might. You come out here, you might. But when you're in this high impact, high impact, this is disturbance. High impact, the jitter is tethered to that. It's receiving that. Its energies are then responding to that. So your, your energy is actually generating a defense form or an avoidance form. You just shut things out. Because there's so many disturbing, intrusive, challenging things you don't really want to see too much. You can see it with your eyes. You don't want to feel it with your heart. So it closes. <clears throat> now there's also the psychologies. The energy, our, our embodiment, our energetic qualities, our um, fluid structure supports psychologies, which are attitudes, very powerful. The attitudes such as performance attitude, right? Be good at, be a winner at, go faster, go quicker, uh, and then you will <coughs> receive the rewards. There's a lot of performance quality, uh, uh, psychology that we're inducted into. Don't just hang around, get out there, get with it, get on top. And this begins at age three, <laughs> four, five, you know, if you're lucky. Not all the time in the world, is it? It's, you know, get upwardly, up, up and running, upwardly mobile, so that you'll be a success in the world. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be a success in the world, which generally means uh, stress, uh, crisis, imbalance, uh, a few substances taken that don't do you any good, few disastrous relationships, <laughs> panic attacks, difficulty getting to sleep. That's, you'll be a success. <laughs> With insatiable feeling of inadequacy and need to do more. Welcome. That's the performance. And the feeling that you're never quite good enough. 
because the nature of the psychology is more to be better but it keeps giving that signal to be better it never gives a signal called enough otherwise it switches off so the signal always has to be a bit more faster, quicker, more whatever because it doesn't have a quality performance drive doesn't have enough on its register otherwise there's no performance so these psychologies keep moving and energy keeps moving that way so performance is a big one <coughs> a psychology ownership of course we feel secure if we own something security is a very powerful psychology for us so we have a lot of security psychologies um, and you can see how that gets fed upon buy some property, put a wall around it, put a fence around it, get your insurance policy get, so you will be alright in the future hold on anybody feel safe? as they say, you know, you build a 10 foot wall, somebody gets an 11 foot ladder <laughs> <laughs> and so on so you're never secure enough because it can't be done because what that the security psychology is feeding on is fear and the, uh, the theme is to give you something to feel anxious about yeah. get a shot of fear so the energy is used to generate things an antidote to the fear that's been, been signaled to you <coughs> and you see insurance policies all like that you know you could die of da 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 next week I never thought of that no of course you didn't that's why we're telling you here's a policy <laughs> you could get robbed in the street here's a policy your car you could we could all get shot to pieces tomorrow theoretically we could, there could be some virus out there just waiting to pounce on me I never thought of that, of course you didn't think about it start thinking about it now and sign on this document <laughs> your car could, oh my goodness, my car could, right, better sign that too <clears throat> so you know this drip 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 of fear coming in security, so you mount strong security psychologies occur see energy is, is used to formulate that and to build upon that and it produces this sense of un unable to rest to really just rest <laughs> you know let it go because it doesn't know how to do that and the, none of these psychologies have an off button so they drive and drive and if you find they can't sleep so well feel nervous, feel like I've always got to be fiddling doing something I feel restless, I feel bored I feel a bit lonely um, don't I look of him so stuff just starts these fear psychologies start trickling out 
and the performance. I should be something that I'm not right now. But I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is I should, I should be, but I know that I'm not it. So because I don't know quite what it is, I better make it everything <laughs> to make sure I've covered all the bases. I should be funnier, more intelligent, stronger, prettier, faster, quicker, um, and relaxed at the same time. <laughs> all of it. And if I fail on any one of those, I'll consider I haven't done well enough. But you can't. You can't cover all that on that on that performance drive. But the way you can cover it, when you switch the drives off, oh, I'm all right. <laughs> if you're able to switch off the fear drive, the security instinct, if you're able to switch off the performance instinct, psychology, if you're able to switch off the gratification psychology, which is again dripped into us, you will feel better if you have one of these. In fact, two of these would be even better. I want to have a third one for security to keep for later on, and have a fourth one to share with a friend, and a fifth one in case that gets out of date, which it will do next week, we'll present you with number six. And so <laughs> that's the gratification thing, psychology. And whatever that is, whether it's a material thing, whether it's status, whether it's something, it's called this energy of becoming better and happier than I was. Sounds reasonable. And yet, does it work? And not that way, it doesn't. But there is a way to be happier, and it's through switching off <laughs> these psychologies. And this is called realization. There's different terms: the awakening, realization. You call it self-knowledge, self-awareness. These are the kind of terms that use for this switching off the psychology. It's called like a return from the being thrown out into outgoing energy that just ceaselessly rushes towards a horizon that it can never reach. Rushing towards a prize it can never attain. Rushing towards a checkered flag that never appears. The outgoing and it's a release of that and a return to something that we was always here but we didn't really feed it. So it's sometimes rather weak and not clear, not easy to really settle into. So we say, well, food is necessary. The food of good people, the food of a trusting environment where some of these psychologies could at least be put on pause. Uh, a situation where there's enough but it's not, this is not going to be gratification central. You know, there'll be enough to get through the day and so forth, a reasonable amount, but that, it's not that. 
So it'll turn, it's possible to live without those and share, but the most important thing probably to maintain the food that's necessary when one enters this rather transitional phase is, well, good people is one, virtue is one. The truth of your embodied energy is another one, subtler, subtler quality that you can begin to experience through meditation. And these will feed you. It will took all of us a little bit of work to get here. So we've already done some work. Don't forget that. You know, you have to put things aside. Remember that you did some work, some switching off. You did some firming up. You stepped outside your normal routines. You got up, you know, rather early in the day. You've already done some work. And you've begun to enter the field of community. Small community. A community of presence. A community of witnessing, a community of steadying, a community of respect, a community of value. Take some time, just feed it, feed on it a little, take it in. That's why we often begin the day with a puja, because with the puja, this devotional chanting and centering around the the images of the awakened, the realized, the blessed, uh, that which the worthy ones. Then we enter their field, which is the field of the sacred. We recognize that there are beings and there have been beings who had deep realization, human beings. I can resonate with that. I can at least open to that as an image. I can get that signal. Just as one got the signal of fear from this, you got the signal of desire from seeing the bottle of Johnny Walker being drunk by some handsome guy in a suit. <laughs> oh, the fantastic diamond that somebody was wearing, you got the signal of gratification. Now you're getting the signal of realization. What do they look like? They compose, they're upright, they relax. There's a lightness and a warmth about them, a gentle smile. And we chant, we bring energy up through our body. We open the heart towards that. And we feel, this is where food is going to come in. You're entering the field of the sacred. The ones who do not do abuse dominate, criticize, seduce, confuse. Now, is this in the past? Is this somewhere, is this in India or China? If it was, how can I sense it here? Because in the world of the spirit, time and place don't count. In the world of citta, time and place do not occur. We can resonate with experiences that on one level happened 20 years ago, right? 
when we're in some other country and we receive good or bad experiences, we can still resonate with that. Now we're extending the resonance of that to beings who throughout history, throughout time and place, have resonated the, the sacred. You see. And you can resonate that too, because the sacred is a common human experience. I mean, I don't think people often deepen into it, but it's, it's, it's there as what we're born with. We often leave it or can't connect to it, but it's, 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 it's as real as the nose on your face. Probably more real, since that can change. The fluid structure of breathing in and out was right there on day one. And you can still resonate with that. And the sense of the sacred is, is fundamental. The sense of virtue is not esoteric, lost in time. It's, it's a continuing reference. So as we start to tune into these qualities, like the, the opening to the sacred, feeling that's on the heart level, you could say, sensing into the energy in the body, Breathing in and out, that's the physical level of it. Sensing into the emotional comfort of a wholesome field of fellow humans, that's the emotional sense of it, we're able to gradually switch off the negative psychologies of inadequacy, not good enough, should be better and all the various pains and conflicts that have occurred to us. And this is, this is where the release occurs. Then, food, you do some work, you turn up, you resonate, you bring your attention to it, that's your work. You form these connections so that the food of the heart can, can radiate through the body, the food of the sacred can fill your presence, and then finally you can rest because the agitation isn't there, the need to perform, become something, isn't there. Yeah. The feeling of fear isn't there. Therefore, there comes a sense of a rest that's not asleep. It's the rest of the wakeful ones. The awakened ones are awake and at rest at the same time. This is the, <laughs> the paradox of language. The firm are open at the same time. The center is firm, the heart is open. The energy is vibrant, strong, and restful at the same time. And these are reference points that are become available once we enter into the direct experience of our lives. And this is really what. Um, Again, we have to keep reminding ourselves of because social life, conditioned human life, is very rarely based upon direct reality. It's based upon what we call constructed or conventional reality, which is things like Thursday and 5th of May. And um, where's that? I don't, I don't see any. 
What day is it? It's called it's called Wednesday or Tuesday. Where what is it up in the sky? We've got words this is Tuesday written in the sky, no? Who who made that up? <laughs> and yet we can believe well it's Tuesday, it'll be Friday in a few days' time, and after Friday I've got to go to on Sunday. Like what what where's that? Real enough experience, isn't it? But your energy is being used up to support an abstract structure. And these abstract structures, by and large, rule the social domain. Nine to five, get there by nine, otherwise you miss the plane. Nine o'clock is a reality, it's not just a, an idea in your head, it's a real thing. Because if you don't get there by nine, you'll get not get the plane. <laughs> so you'll get fired. What's a nine? <laughs> Can you eat a nine? Can you drink a nine? <laughs> well, if you don't get there by nine, you won't get what? The money. Well, what's the money? What's this stuff called money? Well, is it pieces of metal? Piece of paper? Piece of plastic? Is it any of these? Numbers? And yet it's the most powerful thing in the human social realm, isn't it? This stuff called the construction, called money. Can you eat it? No. Drink it? No. Wear it? No. Uh, lie down on it? Well, I wouldn't advise that. <laughs> what is it then? Can you breathe it? No. Can you rub it in your skin? No. So useless, is it? No, no, no. Very valuable. In fact, the more you've got of it, more power you have, and the more you know, that makes you a really good person. You've got lots of this stuff. But what is it? It's the ability to have a debt and make a promise that you won't keep. <laughs> it's the ability to move things around. It's the ability to to operate those psychologies, performance, gratification, defense, to an advanced degree. If I've got lots of it, I can build a very, very big wall. If I've got lots of it, I can put all kinds of stuff inside my cage. <laughs> That's what it is. It's the, it's, the, it's the one quality, the one abstraction that helps to support these psychologies in lived out terms. Hmm? <laughs> you know, and how much violence and crime and misery gets caused by this stuff? Could you add it up? How much misery and crime and, and gets caused by this stuff? Of course, in a way, it's harmless, it's just a token. But look at the psychologies that it makes available and advances to a demonic degree. So the abstract captures the real and transforms it into the polluted. You know, there's nothing wrong with Thursdays or Fridays, but when they start to generate panic, so that we're never where we are, we're always about to, then we transformed, the convention has captured 
the reality of our energy and throne. In ways that are often not at all coordinated with what's happening in your body, your health, your emotion, or your mind. Often violates it. Stress, stress, stress to follow these abstractions. So we say just stop those. You know, we've got a few things here because because what abstractions can do, they can help us to organize. So we're saying, yeah, there's times and places. Keep hold them with a sense of real purpose rather than duty, obligation, fear, or anything like that. It's sense of this is a these are occasions which we name so that we can come together in our in our community, in our harmony. So that we can receive the blessings of each other's presence and each other's practice. So we can hear Dhamma's teachings that resonate with the heart. So for, for our convenience and simplicity, we follow these, not because of these defective psychologies, but because of useful training to do the work, to get the food, to find our place of rest. So in your practice, just noticing, you know, how these these psychologies will naturally bubble up because they're implanted in us. They may take kind of muted forms like, oh, I've got to make sure I get this done by the end of the day. End of the day. When does the day end? What do you mean end of the day? When does it end? <laughs> Is it a time when it's... Whistle blows, reality stops. No, it doesn't end, it just changes, doesn't it? So where's the deadline? I want to make sure I get this done by the end of the retreat. When when does when does retreat end? When does your when does morality end? <laughs> when does good friendship end? Does it have to end? When does being present end? When does practicing end? And yet, we can, these constructions that we can find ourselves following in a blind way, planning the future, planning the future, planning achievement, make sure I've got enough. Make sure I get the right marks by the end of the retreat. Check it. What's that doing? Agitation, stress building up. Switch off. Here we are. Breathing out. All you're asked to do, essentially, is to breathe in and breathe out. And follow it in all levels as it moves through you. Take the opportunity to unplug from psychologies that tell you otherwise. (laughs) It's okay, enough talking for now.